As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So my handbag, um, oh, a package of tissues... A hairbrush, you might be surprised to hear. And, yeah, I know. <laughs> Why? <laughs> My emergency spoons. Yeah. And... What are your emergency spoons? Well, my big horror is to be trapped on a train without the means of eating my granola. Oh, good God. Yeah. So no, you're absolutely right. So, I, in fact, my, I've just seen a message from my daughter on the WhatsApp group. That she's Tell on a... Middle-class emergency, everybody. <laughs> she's currently on a bus and there's a woman eating a tub of strawberry-flavoured Oakley without a spoon. What, just using a finger? She's just... Oh, no, that's I terrible. Know, I know. Nope, nope. Also, Oakley yoghurt. I mean, I've tried it, but it's not for me. Okay. That's yoghurt made with oat milk. And I always feel very sorry. I wonder what those milking sheds are like for the oats. Because they I must think... be... Are they... They must be either very small or very crowded. I can't, I can't make it out. Do you think they do it first thing in the morning? <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> very, think... very... All those oat farmers getting up at two o'clock. I don't know. I would... Slightly baffled by what oat milk is. I buy it very regularly. So you know you can make it so easily. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so so. so don't the, say oats. It's one of the cons of uh, modern supermarket shopping. It is just oats. If you leave oats to soak in water overnight, yeah, and then you pour that water through a sieve or a muslin square, Jane, <laughs> then you've got oat milk. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's all it is. That okay. is all it is. There's a time in every, um, well, many women's lives where muslins. What would you, what do you call them? Muslin. Well, I just called them muslins. But yeah. they're, they're so handy to have. Oh, they're handy. For everything, aren't they? They really are. If you've got a little bit of jam you need to strain, or perhaps you've got a bouillabaisse bass that's got some <laughs> spiky claws in it, or you need to just polish your bathtub. Anyway, have you finished rummaging, or are you going to carry on doing it? No, I'm just, I needed to find my lip salve, but as I was looking for it, I just realised that I've got a very handy sachet of mayonnaise in there, if you want some, and some uh, Dialyrite uh, replacement of lost water and body salts in case you've had any issues there. <laughs> so, well, almost all covered. every emergency is covered there. Um, but it is good to know, isn't it, that uh, I do have emergency spoons and I just can't tell you the feeling of relief when you realise the emergency has passed because you can just go into your emergency mm. spoon section. Well, I might put on my little Christmas list for Jane Garvey, I might get you a spork. What's that? So that's a spoon and a fork all in one. And then you'd be able to use your spork for your dinner here. Because mm. I think that uh, actually the, the, whole, the whole of this empire might come crashing down over 
the amount of cutlery that doesn't make it back to the canteen here. I've seen so many forks just accidentally go into the recycling. Because you go to the canteen, I'm not saying you, but one goes to the canteen, gets a takeaway Mm. to eat, salad, whatever it is, Mm. brings a fork back to the desk. Nobody's taking that fork back. Well, I do. Do you? So you don't need a spork? No, I take my fork back every day. Don't you think it's it's something that wouldn't be recognised by previous generations, eating lunch at your desk? I know. It is low, isn't it? I mean, I do it every day and I'm not complaining because we happen to come in around lunchtime and I'm always really hungry. Just the journey. Um, It does make me ever so hungry. Uh, sitting down on a tube train. I don't know why. Anyway, um, I always eat, but at my desk. It's such a funny thing, and I I am rather jealous of previous generations who would maybe even pop out for lunch. And I don't mean a lavish three-course meal. I mean just No, but there was a lunch hour. So I remember starting in local radio, and particularly actually when I was at Radio Humberside up in Hull. Mm. So there was a really properly defined lunch hour on any shift that you were on. And and I would always go and have a pork and stuffing bun from the baker's downstairs and a bit of a sit on a bench. And you'd pop to the post office, you'd do a couple of chores. I mean, it just was. It was just a really mm. established part of your day. Yeah. Um, and and I suppose it just stuck in the mind because um, uh, because everybody on the station really adhered to it in a way that when I, to be honest, Jane, came down south, nobody did. Really? Really slack. Yeah. Um, Hull gets a bad rap, but it's good to hear something positive about it. Oh, and those pork and stuffing buns were delicious. Really so they've delicious. got those buns and they've got Philip Larkin and the House Martins. and Well, they've got a really cracking uh, cultural scene up there now. And I think the university is pretty dynamic too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And the, and the well, that's not. I only it. mentioned that in a slightly negative way because I've been to Hull myself. It's a great place. Um, because London Hughes mentions it in the, in the interview that people will hear tomorrow. You're right. Yes. In in not such a glowing way. Well, L- London Hughes is a comedian, and she had a, she had a bad experience in Hull. She simply couldn't get the crowd going at all. Um, and I think it's fair to say that she feels the same way about Hull as perhaps we might feel about Guild. Um, anyway, it's not. Oh God, I've said it. I've been triggered. I've triggered myself there. Right, uh, a lovely email here from uh, Sevda. Your interview with Rory Catherine Jones about Sunday nights reminded me of my Sunday nights in the eighties and nineties. Glen Row was a television drama series broadcast on RTE One in Ireland between September nineteen eighty three and the May of two thousand and one. So quite a long run of that, just over thirteen years. It was shown at eight thirty p.m before the o'clock during school term. To this day, people of a certain vintage refer to the dreaded Sunday night feeling of having to do homework and get clothes ready, etc., as a dose of the Glen Rose, or awful feeling of Glen Rose, etc., as Sunday night rolls round again. Uh, Sevda, thank you for that. It is funny, isn't it? I I don't think it matters who you are, where you are, how old you are. Sunday night has a feeling all of its own. And I don't actually think it matters what place you are in your life, how happy you are or not. There's just something about it that transports you back to the days when perhaps you did feel a bit nervous about the approach of the coming week. I have nothing to be worried about as Monday comes around. In fact, I'm often looking forward to Monday, but I still feel a bit odd on Sunday nights. Mm, I'm with you on that. It's strange, isn't it? And there definitely was a cultural 
desert on a Sunday night, which I think now uh, has been turned. Because sometimes when the ITV crime dramas are good, and that's mm. where they used to pop a Vera, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, then it can be just such a comforting way to spend an evening. Because you, you, know, you haven't got any energy left to do any chores if the shirts haven't been ironed. I just have to wait until Monday morning. Mm. But when there's nothing on TV on a Sunday night, yeah. that's when I get a bit depressed. Well, I was at a low point on Sunday night because I'd made quite, a, by my standards, quite a complicated bean dish, which was simply inedible oh. and, and couldn't be rescued. I, I mean, it was far, far, far too salty. And so I went online and, and I don't know why Eve's collapsing at that fork, because this is real life. Um, I went online to find out solutions and there were many in very uh, Add lemon juice. No. Well, I tried it. No, that makes it sour and salty. Well, and then the other one was from Martha Stewart. I know you're a big fan of hers. Maple syrup. Had a rummage. We did have some maple syrup. No. I threw that in as well. Just take that. Just make it sweet and salty. At that point, it tasted utterly disgusting. So it's had to be. It's had to be thrown out. Okay. But couldn't you thin it out with maybe a little bit of yogurt? I've done the thinning out, and it was meant to be a vegan dish, so I couldn't use yogurt. Well, not even smoothly. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't use smoke. <laughs> well, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very, very sad to hear that because I had an, mm. a very affectionate moment at about ten to two today, when I because I cooked a uh, chili, oh, yeah. a chili non carne mm. uh, for this evening, mm. and it's uh, it's been on the medium in the slow cooker all day, and I found myself actually thinking about it at about ten to two in a very affectionate way, just thinking, oh, I wonder how it is. Well, affectionate, <laughs> just bordering bump. on. Bubbling away. A bit smug. No, not smug at all. Just mm. comforted. You're very sour. I have never actually used it's a slow not, cooker. That's, that's why your beans curdled. <laughs> you're just sour about life. It's my attitude. I had to listen to an Archer's omnibus. I just had to retreat into Ambridge. Uh, Where, a... by the way, there's an incel. I'm sorry? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think it's been it's rather good. They've got a plot line involved. Anyway, never mind. Yeah. <sighs> Go on. No, I was just, uh, I picked up this this email. It had been left in the studio overnight. And it's always better the next day, isn't mm. it? Uh-huh. Uh, it comes from Amelia and it just says, Waitrose Nduja Pesto uh, might just be what Fee is looking for, as discussed on the most recent podcast. That's adult pesto. But maybe, in all seriousness, an Nduja Pesto might save your sour dish. Um, OK, I'll give that a whirl, but I fear it is too late for that particular dish. I've kept, for reasons I can't fully put into You've words it. and I've kept some of it I've chucked out the majority of it but I've kept a bit I might give it to my sister this is from Angela uh, I listened to your interview with Rory Kathleen Jones and I felt compelled to write in defence of Sing Something Simple I have lovely memories of Sunday evenings as a girl back in the 70s having my weekly bath I shared this with my dad and it was one of my favourite times as the week, of the week as we spent the whole bath time singing along to Sing Something Simple on the radio. Favourites of ours were Gilly Gilly Ossenpfeffer and A Mouse Lived in a Windmill and K Sarah Sarah. Do you remember Bless all you. of those? <laughs> I hope it clears up soon. <laughs> as an aside, my children were shocked that one, we only had one bath a week. Well, that wasn't uncommon, was it? And two, that I bathed with my dad something that does seem inappropriate and unacceptable now. My dad died in 2014 and I love little jolts to my memory like these, says Angela. Well, thank you, Angela, for sharing your memories with us. Um, I 
It is unfortunate. I mean, the bathing once a week, I don't think it was remotely unusual back in the day. We certainly only washed our hair once every other week, I think, maybe. Very much so. Yeah, because my mum said, I said David Cassidy washed his hair every day because I'd read it in a magazine. And my mum just said, well, his hair's going to fall out. Yeah, no, and also that would just be considered incredibly vulgar. Yes, <laughs> to want to be like David Cassidy. Um, and as for bathing with a parent, that wasn't unusual either. And of course, in 99% of circumstances... You know, it's fine, isn't it? I, I don't know. It is funny. I don't know, Jane. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think it was that unusual. No, I'm sure it wasn't that unusual, but I think it is unusual now. I used to have a bath with my kids, maybe up until they were two, three, but actually not after that. And I don't really know. I don't really know why. I don't know whether that was, you know, just. Uh, I don't I can't even remember it really being a decision, but it just felt no, like... No, I think it, you're right. I don't think we make... Dis- we don't make a sudden announcement. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's kind of like, oh, no, that just doesn't... It's just like... It's not going to happen For now. a large period of time, you are in the bathroom with them when they're oh, in the bath. And you then, are so in the bathroom. And then you do... Beat, every bloody night. Yes, then yeah. you beat a retreat. And you're right, I don't remember the last time I was there. No. But you just stop, you stop being there. Yeah, yeah. strange. Uh, Can we return to uh, the subject of Russell Brand? Not for too long, actually, because uh, we have talked about it a lot over the course of this week. And we do talk about it tomorrow again in our interview with London Hughes. Uh, But Millie has made a series of very good points uh, just listening to today's episode on my evening walk and audibly agreeing with a lot of your comments around the Brand scandal, uh, particularly the email from another listener about the impossibility of considered consent Uh, when being so promiscuous. Uh, We do need to say that Russell Brand denies all the allegations against him. And it's just important to keep saying that for legal reasons, apart from anything else, uh, because we don't quite know where the case is going yet. But Millie goes on to say that I think there's another key conversation that really needs to be had about consent and when consent is and isn't possible due to a power imbalance. And she goes on to believe that one of the reasons women come forward much later down the line uh, can be because they've reflected on their experience and realised just how vulnerable they were and that is something that's difficult to always recognise at the time. I hope we take this opportunity to broaden the conversation around consent and what it really means. It's not just saying yes or no and men and women need to be more aware of that. Uh, So thank you for that Millie because I agree completely and do you know what Joan, I always remember I went back to my old university uh, after the Me Too movement to make a series of short documentaries about it. in the hope that things had really moved on and that the younger generation wasn't experiencing everything that the Me Too movement had really brought to light. And one of the students there said this fantastic thing, that when they all arrived at university, there was a great big pack in their rooms about how they should use the microwave, about how they should use the washing machine, about when laundry night was, about when Freshers' Week started. Uh, There were all kinds of guidebooks to all kinds of things. There was not a single thing about consent. Mm. And actually one of the most important things that all the students needed to learn about first time living for most of them away from home and with members of the opposite sex or the same sex if that was what uh, what they had chosen to do consent was just such a massive thing to actually see written down explained in quite basic words and I was so struck by that because it just it just I just hadn't thought a guidebook to that would have been handy.
I'm surprised. Yeah. What year was that? Was I that... think it's changed now. Right. Okay. And I think campuses are incredibly aware of all of these issues. But that would have been, so what, the Me Too movie, it would have been 20, probably we 13, were back in. 14. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. So not hugely no. long ago. Uh, but I think you're right, Millie. It's just one word, but it covers a whole host of things. This is an interesting email, uh, and it's from somebody who wants to stay anonymous. Uh, Russell Brand's first book came out when I was in my first year at uni, and I genuinely was a huge fan. As a 17-year-old, I thought he was erudite, eloquent, bold, and frankly, I really fancied him. There was something about his overt sexuality which attracted me back then as somebody who, of course, was not experienced. I wouldn't say I'd continued to be a fan of his as such, and certainly his most recent incarnation as a YouTube nonsense messiah just isn't my kind of thing. But if I'm honest, I probably did retain a certain fondness for him without examining any of it. But when the news came out at the weekend, I thought immediately, well, that would make sense. But this has left me really thinking deeply about why, when I was younger, I didn't spot any of those red flags at all. And it is the perfect example of young women falling prey to men like this. I watched that Channel 4 documentary, that was the one, The Dispatches, on Saturday night, and I was genuinely shocked that I could ever have found any of his grotesque comedy funny and why I didn't find him absolutely repulsive, as I would have seeing or hearing him for the first time now. I've thought about it, and one conclusion, albeit a sad one I've come to, is that when you're young and insecure, that kind of over-the-top flirting, now I know it's harassment, of course, could be exciting. When I think back at the boys and men I was attracted to in general and how they treated me, there really is a pattern. I was self-conscious about my body, so if anybody were to be pestering me or being lewd, that made me drawn to that person for some reason. And I think I found it flattering because I wanted that validation from men. Um, thank you to that listener because that's uh, she's speaking very much from the heart there and I'm sure that period of reflection has been a bit odd. So thank you. Because I think we we both said, didn't we, that we'd never, well, we are a bit so much older that I just don't think he would have appealed to us, and he, and he didn't. No, well, I don't think um, we really. I don't know about you, but I just didn't watch very much of that no, stuff, I so know. I wasn't watching Big Brother no. by then, and I certainly wasn't watching him do kind of stand up and stuff. Mm. I remember seeing him on the Jonathan Ross show, and that there was just such a weird kind of uh, chemistry between them. Uh, that's what struck me at the time. But that's such a thoughtful email, Jane, yeah, and I think is. spot on as well, because there is something, isn't there, about uh, a man noticing anything about you, and especially if you feel uncomfortable about, you know, your own kind mm. of uh, sexuality or just sexiness. Yeah. And, and it, it does make you vulnerable. Yes, it really, it really does. You are probably never more vulnerable than when you're riddled with self-doubt and wondering about your own place in the world and... And then someone like him probably does. But 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 to that listener, don't don't be hard on yourself. You you've had a you've had a think, and none of this is your fault. And he was he was parading in front of you, and you had exactly the response that millions of others had. Yeah, so, and that's why he became such a yeah, success. And lots but of people so felt good him. that we're all saying this now, Jane, mm, because well. you know I think it's just really helpful, isn't it? Because it enables you to go. Yeah, I felt like that too, and I now feel a bit shit about that. So. Yeah, uh, but you know, at, at sort of our generation, we we watched well, we watched Jimmy Savile and listened to him. So well, I didn't. I heard some stories, but I didn't really pay them all that much attention. 
Anyway, um, so we've all been made fools of, and, and of course, in some people's cases, far worse than that. Um, this is from a listener who says, if you find time this week, please can you send out a word of sympathy to the poor middle-aged women and men like myself who have seen our beloved loin fruit go off to spread their wings at university. I've been pasting on a smile, nodding about, nodding about embracing a new life while it feels as though my heart has been pan-fried. Oh. Can I just say? They'll come back. They will come back. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. That I'm going home tonight. <laughs> I mean, honestly, um, it may feel they've gone forever. I can only speak from my own domestic circumstances. They don't appear to have done. When's reading week? She hasn't even gone back yet and she'll be over again for reading week. No, actually, um, I didn't expect, says this listener, to be crying in the corn nugget section of Tesco's. I have my own vegan Vera, says our correspondent. Or should I say had? Oh, no. Oh, you have. She's still very much your darling baby. Don't worry about it. And trust me, if you're providing corn nuggets at home, she'll be back for more. Yeah. She really will. I think sympathies, massive sympathies yeah. for the emotion. Uh, I think we should probably try and get some emails uh, from parents who've, whose kids have decided to stay. <laughs> I'm just going to take a four gap years. Yes. Right. After darling. gap years. Uh, now, shall we launch ourselves into our interview today? Uh, it was with Trini Woodall, who's written a tome, actually, uh, called Fearless, which is her kind of manual for life. But she is mm. very keen in the interview to say it's not about rules. She's not telling everybody what to do. It's more about things that she believes that she has learned over the years. I think when you think of Trini, you do still think of... Trini and Susanna telling you what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear and being quite gloriously inappropriate along the way. Mm. Uh, would you ever have gone on their show? No. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Sorry, was I expected to say yes? <laughs> well, no. I mean, you just you said it how you wanted to say it, and that's fine. I'll read this instead. If you had fleeting thoughts that vary from what to wear today to have I got the right HRT going to how do I deal with grief and loss, Trini is here to help. Uh, all of this is included in this book called Fearless. Uh, but there's also a handy guide to necklines, how not to get into debt and whether or not statement jewellery is for you. Trini's lived quite a life herself. We know her as a fashion expert, TV presenter and now beauty entrepreneur. And she's a woman who likes has thrown quite a lot at as well. Uh, she's now at the helm of this very successful makeup empire and a bottle of her BFF Skin Perfector sells every 30 seconds somewhere in the world. I have to say that I use it. I like it very much. And when they first launched, another product sold every 15 seconds. The woman's a genius. Ah, she's onto something, isn't yeah. she? Yeah, that was actually another one called Miracle Blur. Okay. But, yeah, but um, it is... We added it up once when we felt, my goodness, a lot is selling and we, we found out it was that. So it was quite exciting because that sometimes I need to visualize things really well to see how well they're doing. And so, yeah, one was 15 seconds, one was 30. Yeah. I mean, you know, hats off to you, uh, Trini, because it can't be easy to launch a beauty line in this kind of climate. I mean, apart from anything else, there, there are just so many different products that are coming at us all the time. I think that's what I felt when I launched it. And it's one of the reasons I did, because when I was doing makeup shows in the UK, I used to hear a lot of um, feedback from women of how they found things difficult. 
uh, to buy or what they suited. And then I went around the world when we no longer were flavor of the months doing TV here and lots of very different countries from sort of Israel to Poland, to India, to Australia, to America. And that same feeling of that paradox of choice and paradox choice makes us think, well, I just won't make a decision because I don't know what's the right decision. And and that was one of the main reasons of, of starting Trinity London is how could I help women to know what suited them? Yeah. Um, to go online and do that, too, because in a store, I know I'll go up to a big beauty counter and I will think there's 300 lipsticks, which is my red, you know. Yeah. Is it very much aimed at people our kind of age? It's aimed at when I launched in the under, I aimed it really to address 35 plus as an audience. And we have all different ages who buy from us. And I think it's more an attitude which can be challenging to describe when you're trying to raise money. But I kept saying it's this attitude. It's somebody who says, I'm now a grown-up woman and I want to make the right choices for me. And we can become a grown-up woman when we're 25 or when we're 60. But you get to a stage where you just want things that work for you. Yeah. You know? um, I feel really sorry for the younger generation at the moment, Trini, uh, just in terms of how much stuff is being chucked in their direction uh, you know they are greeted 24 hours a day with these completely unrealistic images uh, all across their social media platforms and just scrolling through some of the stuff that they're being sold with all mm. its ridiculous additives and ridiculous promises it's not mm. a great time to be alive in the beauty industry is it i think it's challenging and i think that i had felt you know, which is why I was here, but there was a time when perhaps you and I were first um, sold makeup in, and it was always a flawless model, very airbrushed. And, you know, as I've gone down the path of life, it was still that 18 year old selling me makeup and skincare, but I was 20, 30, 40, 50. And that's the challenge, I think, for that generation. I think for my daughter's generation, she's 19, there are many more products, and there's a lot of very um you know before and afters that you know have been doctored and then there's a lot of filters and i think filters is the biggest challenge because you will compare how you feel inside with how somebody looks on the outside and that isn't just actually i think my daughter's generation because i think women i know too can just continuously look at other images of things that have been heavily filtered and think my god i don't stand up to what i'm meant to be and I'd, I'd like to say, could we all stop filtering so much? Because it just gives people more confidence in themselves to think, I'm not just me, there's lots of me out there. Yeah. And I can find people. And with. so, and, I mean, I watch some of your reels and stuff on Instagram. Is there never a filter on that? Is that absolutely okay. as it's filmed? That's absolutely as it's filmed. And I don't love a filter. And on the website, we'd only do airbrushing or touching up when maybe some makeup dropped when we were doing a makeup shoot. But, you know, we show women as they are. I feel it's really important to have it out there. And I've been, you know, during COVID, I was there putting, you know, nappies on my eyelashes, trying to do eyelash tint. And I will be me with nothing on. Today, I have quite a lot of makeup on because I just did a shoot. Um, I'll have a bright light here and that bright light might wash some things away. But I'd, you know be very happy to be in any light doing things yeah sorry did you just say that you put nappies on your eyes yeah i i, I, yeah, I, I, I had this like i had some dog nappies in oh, in, in my house and i was trying to dye my eyelashes and i couldn't find cotton wool and then i thought it was genius that i would take the dog nappy which had cotton wool in it and use that and it became an absolute disaster 
which was all live at the time, yeah. I'm so unfashionable, Trini. I didn't know dog nappies were a thing. I mean, how what? long have they been a part of your life? They've been a part of my life since my darling dog became very incontinent. Oh, dear. Um, that's that, yeah. So so either you've got a dog that hasn't been neutered yet and right. it, you want it to have its first season and you don't want blood around the house, or you have an incontinent dog and you haven't found the right mix of medication so that they they feel comfortable with their bladder. Okay, do they keep a nappy on for long? Don't they just try? No, and... no, it's no. just an overnight moment. Um, if Because I my dog loves to sleep on the bed and I don't want to change her lifestyle because she's, you know, she's now 91 equivalent from dog oh, years. No. The dog has to stay. No. We all know that, Trini. We all yeah, know the that. dog has to stay. Yeah. <laughs> Can um, we just have a name check? What is her name? Lily. Lily. Okay. I, have a, I have a teenager and I have um, a Alzheimer blind deaf and incontinent 14-year-old. Okay. And they've actually got quite similar names, haven't they? Yeah. They, they, one, one is, no, that's my my daughter is Lila. The yes. dog is Lily. Yes. But, but I have quite... a, new, a new incumbent called Daffy, named Daffodil, after she was born in March. And she's a, a whiffet cross with, um, um, a whiffet cross with a lurcher and she's very naughty. Oh, right. God, I could imagine. That's a lot of energy that going is. on there. Um, uh, Trini, do you think that you are currently in the best form of your life? Yes, I do. What I has made it that? Because I'm in a place where I... I talk in the book about self-belief. You know, we have self-confidence, self-this, self-that... Uh, and I had lots of lack of self-worth when I was growing up. But I feel I have a self-belief. I feel to an extent I know what I'm capable of. I feel that when I set out to do something, I have a chance of getting there. And so that makes me feel more comfortable in my skin. I, I always refer to it as if I'm walking. In previous decades, I'd walk and I'd feel I was maybe two feet from the ground, sometimes 20 feet from the ground, and I was going to really trip if I fell. And now I feel I'm sort of... A foot from the ground I'll have a I'll have a trip but I can get myself back up and or I could be two centimeters from the ground on a really good day mm. and I think that's come with lots of experience and that's come with discovering how I tick and and working to improve myself I think some people would be surprised that you have ever been a very anxious or particularly a very shy person because we kind of assume that anybody who can leap onto television and give of themselves in that medium can't possibly be shy. But you had a very tough late adolescence and early 20s which saw you in rehab, I think. Was it by the time you were 21? Yes, I went a few times, but I got sober. I got clean at twenty-six. Right. Um, I think that I think it. Um, when I was about thirteen, I had very bad cystic acne, and that affected my self-confidence. All my all my girlfriends had the most beautiful skin, and so I felt very unappealing. And you know, I'd, if I went out, I would be very aware if I was going on a date what what lighting there would be because I'd feel there'd be this down lighting, and you'd see all these spots. So that made me feel very unconfident until I was about 30. And then I was very shy. I was the youngest of six kids. And sometimes when you're the youngest kid, you need to make, you know, make your voice heard. But there's also something which makes you be quiet amongst lots of loud siblings. So I, I had that mixture of bravado and chronic shyness. And I'd be the kind of person who would go to, you know, I'd originally go to a party and then sit in the loo for a bit until I felt more comfortable. And then I was sitting in the loo doing drugs to give me confidence, you know. So 
um, though until I was 26, it wasn't my favourite decade in which to live. Right. And what would your advice be to that shy, anxiety-ridden, uh, probably girl? You know, you would have the close experience to a girl at the moment and certainly someone who looks in the mirror and doesn't like what they see. What would you say to that girl? It's very difficult because sometimes I think you have to live through things, don't you? Because there was this... Some, there was this uh, in my school chapel, there was this poem a nun had written. And it was talking about there'll always be people in life that you'll look up to and always look people in life you will feel aren't as much as you are. And you, we're always somewhere in the middle. And just to remember, you have this place in the middle. But I didn't listen to that advice because I was just down that rabbit hole. I think that sense of worry, you know, we, we can spend our life worrying and to realise that 99% of what we worry about doesn't happen. But we spend so much time worrying and it would just be worry less you know live in the moment and worry a bit less I wish I heard that I think it's so it's so hard to do isn't it it's easy for us as older women to say that Uh, but we appreciate we appreciate that Uh, shall we lighten the load and talk about skin palettes and colours and all those kind of things because that's where your book starts Uh, I didn't even realise that I should have put so much time into working out what mine was well how do you find out (laughs) I think that you um Hold on one second. Sorry. I think that you uh, find out when you start doing it, how much it can help you uh, dressing. Mm. And I think that so many people maybe are scared of colour and what to wear because they don't understand what colours suit them. And I always found that once I realised what colours suited me, it was so much easier to put clothes together, to understand what makeup I should wear and just... I wanted to simplify it. So in the book, you know, we, through the years, we've always had things of autumn, winter, spring, summer, and people putting those scarves against you and lots of people trying to put you in a box of what you should be. So I just want to say there's, you know, when I did the algorithm for Trinity London, there's very cool to very warm as a, as a as a tone and people sit along that line. And if you can figure out where you sit along that line, then you can find it far easier to see your main colours that suit you and what colours go together. Yep. And then you wear more colour. And I think colour is life. I think lots of us can wear very black or white and be safe in that monochromatic world. But I'm always drawn to people who wear colour. You know, you're wearing a lovely blue today. And I just think, you know, colours reveal a lot and mean a lot. And when I see somebody wearing colour, I'm I'm drawn to get to know them better. I, I feel it sometimes can speak for you when you're a bit scared to speak yourself. I know exactly what you mean. I've, and I fear the neutral palette. Actually, would, would you mind, Trini, just describing the, the gorgeous shirt you're wearing? Because we can see it and people will be able to watch uh, clips on the socials. But is that a metallic blue? Because it's gorgeous. It is. This is what I call cornflower blue. Right. This is my dad's favourite flower, actually. And it's my blue. It's my best blue. So I could wear electric blue, which would wash me out. I could wear a very dark indigo, which would nearly be like black to me, but I'd be better in a French navy because it's got a bit more colour. But this is a... It's not a dirty colour mm. and it's just not a bright, sharp colour. It sits in this very neutral tone. So all the colours that I suit sit in this tone that they're not really bright and they're not dirty. They're just clear. And that's what's that's what suits me. So I love this. And I wear this colour when I'm tired or when I, have you know, just feel I'm on a Zoom and I want to give my best colour. And um, 
it's a color that's my lucky color too. I think we can have associations with colors that they make us, you know, that that was my lucky shirt. Mm, I don't right. have well, any of that or things that you put on because you have an association that you're going to have a good day in it. Jane is wearing a kind of cornflower blue jumper yes. today. I've got my blue top on. We don't. We never. We never discuss what we're going to Obviously wear. But we do. <laughs> increasingly, Trini, we're turning up at work wearing the same kind of piece of clothing. And if we were still having that. periods, we'd be having periods at the same time, Trini. That's that's. <laughs> That's where we're at. We've turned into some kind of ley line connected duo. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Trini Woodall is our guest. Her latest book is called Fear Less. It is a guide to style, beauty and life and it's full of very handy tips. One that I particularly enjoyed reading, Trini, uh, was the simple advice to just wear incredibly firm, elasticated clothes to workouts or classes because they literally just pull you in and make you feel like you've already done some of the work. It seems a silly one, but I think when we're on a journey of wanting to be strong or fit or whatever it is that motivates you to go and do exercise, we can sort of throw on our oldest raggedy T-shirt and and some leggings that have seen better days. And I just think if you treat it as if it's going to be something where you're going to feel the strength in what you're doing, if it's slightly elasticated and it's holding you and you feel that and there's lots of things I, I get my... Um, things from Sweaty Betty and I feel there's something called the power pant I love but I, I I feel far more motivated in that than if I'm wearing a really tired thing that's been 300 times through the wash and lost everything it's it's an odd one but we need lots of reasons why we might um, look after ourselves with exercise and I see that as I want to be in control of my body for as long as possible and I write a little bit about that motivation and you know, I had a mum who wasn't that well, so she didn't do that. And I noticed when she got in her 70s and stuff that it affected her. It affected her ability to have a broader life. Mm. And I do think that it's really important to have a strong body and how we can do that. You know, we were talking... Sorry to interrupt. We were talking earlier about how long people are living, not routinely, yes. but we increasingly do hear about the incredible number of people living to be over 100. Um, mm-hmm. In the last census in this country, it was nearly 14,000 people. 
And I just wonder whether there's so much emphasis on looking young, and uh, which I get completely, and staying fit, as you say, for as long as possible is hugely important. But do you think we ought to be having more tricky conversations about how we live well for as long as possible? I mean, I'm talking into our 80s, for example. Well, sure. I, I, I had a very good friend of mine the other day saying you should, um, you know, Trini, you're, you're going to be 60 and you might only have 25 good summers left. And I was horrified by that thought yeah. and the idea of thinking like that, because I think it can age you. And when I say aging, it's not the aesthetics of aging. It's the ability to have this very full life physically with your body and mentally with your brain and when we look at all these stats and I think when you have a, a parent who's had Alzheimer's you are concerned with that sense of how can I be fully compassmentous and doing everything that I would love to do for as long as I would like to do it I, I do really feel I'll live to 100 mm -hmm. um, I want to feel I do that so I, I look now, what am I putting inside of my body? Is my body strong? Am I stimulating my brain? Those New York Times crosswords that I try and do every day and beat every day yeah. as they get harder during the week, all those kind of things I want to do because it's it's not about looking younger. It's about being able when I'm 80 to have an amazing life and when I'm 90 to have an amazing life. And, and when I'm 100 to still have a good life. One of the things that we really don't know as women is how we're going to feel in our hormone balance when we're 90 or 100 years old. It's really not discussed ever. I've never seen any kind of paper or article about that. And I know... There's, there are a few. There, there are a few now. There's a very good woman in New York called Dr. Erica Schwartz, and she is a hormone specialist. She wrote some amazing books, The Hormone Solution, a few other books. And um, I put two pages of her in the book of hormones through the decades, because I think people think perimenopausal and they start with that, but you know, people can start with polycystic ovaries and that can be a hormone imbalance which will affect you physically and mentally and it will go on. But she's done a lot of lectures recently on the importance of HRT or some HRT family or type of um, hormone treatment for longevity. Not yeah. to get through the menopause. Mm -hmm. I think the conversation's always been to get you through the menopause. The classic, slightly old-fashioned GP is like, take it for a few years and then stop. But I'm, I'm presuming that most most people, most women who are 90 or 100 years old at the moment probably aren't taking any form of it's HRT yeah, at all. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I and think women in their 70s are. Yeah. Do you I think that you'll of... carry on taking? And because and, you I, said I know, this... I know, I'll, I'll, I know I'll take it till I die. Right. I, I know that. Because we look now at some of the scientific papers on, you know, that the, the scaremongering you had around HRT before of it, heart disease and, and breast cancer is now actually doing a 360. And there's a lot of papers that are written on actually helping prevent things like that uh, if you are on the right form of HRT. Yeah. And I believe that everyone can believe their own methodology and we all research what we lean into, and I lean into that, the philosophy of, of keeping up with hormone treatment. So I know that you have a testosterone injection three times a year. How, how does that make you feel immediately afterwards? And, and can you really feel a very profound difference in yourself? I lost lots of my hormones when I was 44, 45, because I had a ton of IVF, and you do deplete your hormones as a result. Um, 
And so my testosterone level was really, really low. And so I do have extra testosterone and I do take estrogen, progesterone every day and testosterone um, uh, gel, which isn't, I think, in the UK prescribed with HRT. You have to ask for it extra. Uh, in America, they do. And I go, you know, I travel quite a lot to America and I get an injection when I'm there and I it just it gives me an element of vitality. And when we look at andropause with men and the fact that there is that imbalance in hormones that can happen with men as well, the amount of men who I think if they'd had their hormones checked and they had gone on testosterone, they wouldn't have thought maybe so much this is a midlife crisis and I need you know to do some drastic radical things I think hormones can account for a lot of how we feel and we should always check them Mm. Uh, we were talking about your interview that you did for the Saturday Times magazine in the studio uh, was it last week or the week before and this fantastic expression you'd used Trini about a hello from down there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's an expression that will never leave me now, and I'm grateful to you for mentioning it. Uh, for people who didn't hear us have that discussion, what exactly did you mean by that? It it was actually attached because it wasn't uh, discussed in full with hormones because I feel that when you have you don't have that hormone supplementation when you're losing your hormones as a woman, you can feel quite shut down, and so I think it's important to always feel one's sense of one's own sexuality and that's what I was saying so that was a little trite comment of hello from down there but it's that belief of women who really make an effort to think how can I actually work on this yeah oh no I loved Someone, it as an expression yeah, I'm not deriding I just, it at I, all I know how to say it because you know my daughter could be listening oh, and okay. yes around sex. Okay. I just wanted to be subtle you know, okay. there's nothing more embarrassing for a child than its parent in any form to talk about sex I agree so let's end on necklines <laughs> 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 it's this a, no- is a weird one. I mean, necklines. I'm a bit obsessed with necklines, and there's certain things I hone in on. You think, does it really bloody matter? I'm excuse me, but but it's sort of. I think it's just from, you know, doing a lot of clothes with women and putting them in different things and seeing what necklines really help to frame you and which necklines drain you. So it's frame or drain, if I had to put it that way. And I think it's to do with the length of your neck and the squarenish of your jaw and your um, cleavage. Uh, so in the in the book, I, I go through if you are, you know, square jaw and you have a long neck and whatever, this is a good, this is your like your best neckline. And it's the one place in the book, because I don't do rules anymore. That was for when I did my old books with Susanna, this is suggestions, but it's one area where I do know if you look at those suggestions with necklines, you'll feel this freshness around how you frame yourself that maybe had been lacking. So I think I, I, I am passionate about the right neckline. And I'm passionate with you. Uh, it is a learning curve and I've learned from it. Uh, Trini, it's really lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed in the nicest possible way. Uh, I hope your daughter hasn't been listening to this. Uh, but for, for women of a certain age and their partners and stuff, I think we're very grateful that you answered all of our questions. Fearless is out now. Uh, Its author is Trini Woodall. And I do think that that phrase, hello from down below, is just a little bit of genius, actually, because it's not crude. It's not cruder than crude, uh, but it's a little bit cheeky. Yeah, well, let's just have a period of silence and see if we can hear anything. Hello.
<laughs> right, I'm indebted to Antonia. <laughs> I'm indebted to Antonia in Sligo in Ireland for... Uh, actually, this is really for me rather than for Fee. It's a helpful guide to how to pronounce croissant. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, uh, Antonia. I will certainly have a look at that. <laughs> I think we better just leave it, really. We'll be back tomorrow anyway. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, ladies. A lady listener. Sorry. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on. Settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.